Rochelle, welcome to Future Speak. We are in a very different, dynamic, competitive, and fast-changing work environment. And that's the only thing that we can trust. If you're going to be working with different types of employees, different types of workers, especially if you're in a leadership position, then you have to be open to experimentation, open to change, be open to following how that can help your team have a lot more innovative. We met recently at Disrupt HR. I heard you talk and I really wanted to get you on the show. I know we've spoken a few times, but I love your perspective. So you are a lady of many talents. Not only are you a gig HR expert, which is how I came across you, and a good work advocate. Um, You've been a senior lecturer at the University of West England. You're a global speaker. Having heard, heard you speak at a Disrupt HR event of all things, super cool under pressure and going straight on to another event i've been really looking forward to to having your caliber of person on here as an expert in the future in the space of the future of work rochelle i'd love you to introduce yourself to everyone today oh thank you you've done such a wonderful job i don't think i need to say much more (laughs) but thank you for that so my area of expertise is helping companies adjust to their ever-evolving workforce which is becoming more dynamic so i'd say i'm a gig hr expert and what that means is that i help companies to work better with full-time talent and independent workers i help to build systems out that facilitate a better working relationship and better outcomes um, for for all stakeholders involved. Uh, outside of that, I do a lot of speaking around the rights of freelancers, around the gig economy and its impact on managing people. I speak a lot about performance management and what that looks like in the digital economy. So those are my real areas of expertise and I've done that across several platforms and also I've come up with uh, a framework called GD Charm, um, which we are now, it's now being rebranded as OpenHR, um, where it's designed to help companies to address all of the pain points when it comes to interacting and engaging freelancers. So we're writing a book called OpenHR, and that's going to be available within the next six months or so. I love it. And your thoughts when we look at the gig economy. Um, freelancers, you inspired me to to really look at that profitability per employee and we've rebuilt models that are relevant now for smaller consultancies and smaller organisations where actually they should be considering that they're freelancers and consultants as part of that. So, you know, thank you for that. We've, we've built out models from your great work in, and been inspired by you. So I wanted to take that opportunity to thank you. How are you seeing the that gig economy evolving now? And more importantly, how are you seeing the bigger organizations realign their relationships? I'm liking that organizations are becoming more open to using platforms within the gig economy. I've seen some really great best practice examples, USP being one of them. And USD recently won an award for their open talent model. Uh, what they basically did was design a model for working, or they had a model design, let's put it that way. They had a model design for getting a steady stream of open talent. And also within that steady stream, their system was built out in a way that allows that open talent to work seamlessly with in-house employees. 
even if um, later in that process they move on to another project. But it was done so seamlessly and with such a, let's say, a competitive advantage to the company that they won an award for it recently. Um, so I'm, one of the great things I'm seeing is that companies more and more are taking on board what it means to work with a blended workforce, whereas before uh, we were seeing freelancers, not just freelancers, but those also who worked remotely or online, were typically seen as second-class citizens. And we still see a lot of that, where freelancers are persons who are behind the screen are treated more casually, but it is getting better. We are seeing improvements. We're seeing more education within companies, which is great. It's great to know that we're not just banging on the door and no one's answering. Um, so I'm definitely seeing an evolution in terms of how companies are approaching talent and the sources that they're looking uh, when it comes to getting the best talent in as well. And also think about, think about what it means to build out their company in a way that they're prepared to work, not just more digitally, but in a more agile and more blended way. Great. Now, and you know, we've got organizations now like Upwork and they did a fabulous ad recently on how the the place of work and how we work with with individuals and small organizations is changing and, and it was it was funny it was impactful and it was inspiring it's still very much depicted that we've got a long way to go where would you like to get organizations to over the next few months in terms of working with their freelancers there's still a lot of work to do great foundations have been laid what's next i think really the next step is for organizations to to think about how they're structured so it's one thing to have a model that is just built for working with freelancers so creating a better system that improves your procurement of freelancers your sourcing engagement and whatnot but it's also important to think about what this new sort of decentralized work means for organizations as a whole organization of what it means for organizations uh, as a whole uh, one of the things that we are seeing more and more and we want to get to a point is where companies rethink um traditional work paths so for example a lot of people come in come into the company and the typical approach is you come into your organization you're within let's say the hr department and within the hr department you move up that career ladder um, if that is the case, if that's your desire. What we're trying to get to is rather than have this sort of career-based, career progression model, where we're in this climate where because of generational changes, shifting at generational expectations, uh, shorter career, career lines within companies, and also the decentralization of work, what we're seeing more and more is the need for organizations to go towards a more skills-based approach. So rather than thinking about, we have this one employee who belongs to this one department and works on this one career path, if you know that your employees are going to be staying with the company for a shorter, long, shorter length of time, then think about how that person can be used, for lack of a better word, uh, in a way that is more strategic to the company, but also more creates a more interesting work path or work journey for them. And what that might need is um, thinking about what skills that person possesses and how those skills can be um, launched right across the organization. 
So for example, if it is that you have an architect and one of the key skills of that architect is beyond his professional skills or, or, or because of his professional skills is design thinking, then think about how design thinking can also be used in a inhibitive way in your marketing department. Think of how that can be used within your finance department, whatever the case might be. So that employee's journey, you will see them not just working within one department, one organization, uh, career ladder, but they will have a much more interested and a wider breadth within their career and organizational journey. That creates a much more interesting work experience. And we're seeing more and more surveys and more and more um, studies and music course are constantly saying that people, especially the younger generation, um, Gen Y, that are demanding more interesting work. And that's one of the things that companies need to rethink if they're going to offer a more interesting work journey, knowing that more and more employees are choosing to leave a lot earlier uh, jobs. It's the same thing companies now two to three years. So rather than trying to focus solely on retention, think about within the time that that person is in the organization and with the company, how can you as a company, but also how can you as a company get the most from what that person has to offer, but also in a way that develops and gives that person what they need for their career journey, whether or not that is with the company in the future. That's really interesting, actually. My mind was going at 100 miles an hour with that. Personally, I hadn't even thought about, you know, the example you gave of, you know, say an architect being able to, to support their, you know, their skill sets being used to support a marketing team, for example, right? And it... I'm sure that there are people listening now thinking, oh my God, I, I hadn't even even considered working with our teams in that way. Rochelle, have you got any examples of projects you've done with clients where this kind of thinking has been implemented with great success and they've gone on to do more innovative things as a result of your support? Yeah, I'm seeing it more and more with governmental clients. And I can't, for, for that reason, I can't say which one. Yeah. <laughs> but I was saying with governmental clients who are taking my services when it comes to freelancers, because more and more governments are approaching freelancers in a very strategic way in terms of what it can do, um, how it can contribute at national level. And I've had some projects where I've worked on where governments are trying to build out a landscape within their country that is suitable for freelancers, whether that's to attract freelancers to work there or whether that is to create more freelancers within that national location and make sure it's fitted, outfitted to them. I've seen a, a really good cases of where systems have been built up for freelancers, where they come in and they work on a project by project basis across various elements of government. So it might be, for example, within the Department of Health then it might be that they move on to work on a project within the Department of Education, then within the Department of that they welfare, civil well-being. But because of how the system is set up and because of the nature of their role, they're allowed to, their, their services are retained, for example, within a system, a framework that's created in a platform. And depending on the job and the project, um, that platform highlights what are the skills that are required for the project the platform stores the information of those various thirds, whether they're active or dormant. And then based on the next project that's required, you highlight what's the best freelancer for that, and that person is pained, let's say for lack of a better word, 
and um, chosen for the next project based on the breadth of skills they possess, possess both hard and soft. That's saying that it's worked very well where you have a company or where you have um, an organization where there's several different departments and you're working on a project by project basis, but also where there are full time employees as well within those government departments and those skills are also deployed. So I've definitely seen cases where it can work and I've definitely seen a lot more companies, private sector companies as well, moving towards such a model. Yeah, and it, small companies like ourselves already work in this way and think very differently about how we work with our teams. They're very much still part of our businesses and our community, if you like. Yeah. But we recognize the fact that actually we want to keep their their skills cutting edge. And if we brought them in full time, we'd lose that. Exactly. And I'm, I'm liking that companies are taking that on board, thinking about what is it that we need for this project right now and how we can facilitate that. And then how do we think about having a more long-term relationship with freelancers? Because often where companies are not set up, let's say, to store the information of the freelancers, to think about how they manage the performance of the freelancers while on the project. Um, but also taking into consideration that many freelancers don't want to be packaged. So how you are choosing to engage them, that needs to be considered as well. But where you, you've built out systems that put all of those things into consideration, then you create more long-term opportunities for the freelancer as well. Well, so whilst, whilst we've been talking, um, just a question came to mind for me. If we're moving more towards the gig economy and working with freelancers being more mainstream, some would say we're already there. In my world, I'd say we're already there, right? But with larger organisations, we've still got a long way to go. Where's the responsibility lie for coaching and training and developing the future skills required for these freelancers? I think a big part of it lies with the HR department. But of course, we know in organisations, nothing can be done without that senior level buy-in. So it must, it must definitely come from the top down mm-hmm. and it must be a case where we're thinking about this from the very beginning rather than let's say we design a whole system and then we test it on our employees the employees the workers the freelancers the, the hr they should have an input from the very beginning and that's going to help to create a system that works so definitely there is the responsibility and the role of hr especially where it comes from that talent acquisition, talent management, performance management type thing. Uh, but HR cannot achieve its role without the buy-in from senior leaders, but also without the input from freelancers to really understand what are those key pain points or areas that need to be addressed. How do you see your role evolving as we see this? I, I was going to say evolution, but it's it's more advancement and change as we go right in, into how we how we work in this way what's your role going to look like yeah i think it, it's amazing because i've seen my role evolve my company is three years old and the things i've achieved in that three years i'm very proud of um but also the evolution that's taken place in those three years that's been has been amazing in terms of when i first started my main goal was in terms of education um so or educating companies about what it means to work with off-site, um, off-site stakeholders. And slowly, 
due to the pandemic and also for various reasons, other various reasons to change our work context. My role has become a lot more dynamic and diverse where, for example, it's helping governments become more outfitted to work with freelancers and create knowledge economies. Uh, within companies, it's no longer just that they're running an educational workshop on what it means to work with freelancers, but it's also helping companies to build out open talent platforms, open talent systems that allow for that smooth operation between freelancers and organizations, which I would say is now becoming more common, as you said, mm-hmm. um, but still we have a long way to go in doing that in an effective manner. Um, I say more and more my role evolves. I will also, I'm, I'm beginning to see more coaching organization role as well, and a coaching HR role um, in terms of what it means to get the best out of uh, independent and open talent and what it means to partner with open talent. I don't think that's going to change. Um, more and more also I'm getting demand to design new talent models. So yeah. we, we spoke in terms of the limited sources that companies are still, or the traditional sources that companies still use sourcing talent, which um, put significant amount of independent contractors uh, at a disadvantage in many cases because they might not be sources that are being currently looked for. Um, being currently used. So uh, a big part of my role, I, I think now will continue into the future, is designing new top models for organizations. Um, because we're seeing more and more that companies are struggling to find key talent, especially high, um, high skill talent. Um, you have more than, a report came out a couple months ago showing that more than 70% of UK organizations were struggling to find key talent. Um, so more and more, I often, when I when I saw those reports and when I heard those comments, the main thing I would ask is that, are you struggling to find talent or are you just looking in the wrong places? And I think a lot of companies are still dependent on those traditional sources and not integrating enough in newer approaches and models and platforms and ways of searching and looking. So more and more, my work is becoming working very closely and very in line with HR teams within organizations and help understand what it means to design an open talent model that exposes them to a wide breadth of talent uh, across the globe and across various platforms. And I think that will continue alongside the increase in, um, let's say, education around what it means to run a skilled state organization, along with the increase in demand by governments to create economies that are suited for freelancers. A really interesting role that I've been undertaking recently, uh, which is really catching on on a national level, is using freelancers to solve national pay points. So typically freelancers, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of freelancer visas uh, where freelancers were being encouraged to travel to certain locations, uh, especially tourist locations, and of course their spending and whatnot helps the economy. But a recent role that I've been performing with one government is helping them to manage a group of freelancers who are tasked with addressing national pain points. And these freelancers are, let's say the country is the UK, for example, let's say the UK is the the country. Um, And basically freelancers from England are based across the world. What I've been tasked with from this government is their 
their mission is to address a brain drain issue. So what they're seeking to do is to hire any UK freelancers who are based outside the UK to solve problems within the UK. So they're using their expertise that they've gained globally from leaving the UK and they're putting those skills back into the UK to solve national level issues, whether that is called living crisis, security, whatever the case. So I'm working with countries who are using freelancers to solve issues, national level issues like brain drain, rather than just attracting freelancers, um, let us say non-national freelancers for tourist reasons. So more and more, even at a national level, how freelancers are being deployed to solve issues within countries is also evolving. And that makes a lot of sense when I was at an event the other week. Steve Cadigan was on stage and one of the things he said was in Australia, they've declared a state of emergency for their talent, mm. for their lack of talent. Now, I've never heard that expression used before. And one of the things he implied, and I then thought about afterwards was, you know, we're going to see more and more of that. And when you look at, say, the UK, to to your point, if we look at communities such as the nursing and, and, and doctors and, and that kind of fraternity, we've known about this problem for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So actually what we're doing is finding other ways of resolving these problems we've learned from the pandemic that we can cross borders we've created new networks our biggest headache actually moving forward again from other conversations i've had is probably going to be things like tax how do we tax this yeah not one for us but you know it's something that is is going to come come into play particularly if if we work with more and more freelancers we create more and more of this nomadic society where people might have two or three bases, they may have you know, multiple passports. Uh, that's that's another area that, again, as I said, is not for us, but it's something that's that's going to need to be addressed over the coming years, right? Yeah, and we're seeing more and more companies as if they were not going to get into tax. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're definitely seeing in terms of that fight to attract freelancers and that increasing competition to attract freelancers, that countries are getting very creative in digital nomad visas that they offer. Uh, and a lot of them are around taxes. So for example, Spain has just introduced, or actually, I think it's from next year, it's coming into law from next year. They're introducing a new digital nomad law that will provide freelancers certain tax breaks. And we've had a bit of a debate about this because in terms of from a regulatory point of view, a lot of institutions argue that actually freelancing and digital nomadism in our attempt to attract uh, people to our shores that it should never be seen as a tax avoidance scheme or a tax avoidance method. So that's all, also the, the balance and the issue that will have to be addressed further into the future. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's being addressed even now. How do we actually maintain our integrity regarding our tax regulation that what is suitable for freelancers? Um, in an environment where we are now using such incentives to attract freelancers to our shores. Yeah, I, th I think that whole piece is, is going to be really interesting for us to see. Rochelle, 
fun question coming up. What has been your latest binge watch? <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's a hard one. Mm. I tend to like movie rather than series. I can't remember the last good series. Ah, the last good series I watched actually was House of Dragons. I really enjoy that. I think it's called that, The House of Dragons. Yeah. It sounded really boring at first. So this seems to be just all about scandal. But then the, the more carried on, I, I really kind of got into it. I got into it in the final two episodes. So <laughs> now I wanted more. It was done and I got to wait for season two. <laughs> they did that on purpose. They got me by the neck and now I'm just waiting for the next one. <laughs> I love that. Rochelle, yeah. my final question for you, because I've taken up a lot of your time today. Anyone listening to this today who's looking at how they can embrace gig HR, open HR, what advice would you have for them? I would say be open to experimentation. Uh, we are in a very different, dynamic, competitive, and fast-changing um, work environment. And that, that's the only thing that we can trust will be constant. So I think if you're going to be working with um, different types of employees, different types of workers, format, then you have to be open to ex experimentation, open to change, and open to, especially if you're in a leadership position, be open to following as well okay. and see what, how that can help your team to become a lot more innovative. So we definitely have to be open to that evolution of the organization because it will bring benefit and that change is happening whether or not you fight it. So I think that's that's really important. Thank you, Rochelle. Rochelle, thank you for coming on today. It's been wonderful to see you. Great to meet you as well. I'll see you somewhere soon, I'm sure. Sure, definitely. It's great to catch up with you again. Likewise. Take care, Rochelle. Bye. See you.